Hi everyone and welcome back to the Matcha Diaries, the podcast where your hosts Cara and Leo talk about topics that are close to our hearts and try and navigate our 20s as best as possible each week. This week we'll be talking about a topic that we've wanted to for a while but never knew quite how to best address it because it just can be so easy to miss the mark on this one and we never want to be insensitive to anybody. However, we did decide that this is as good a time as any to talk about our experiences with growing up multiculturally, the cultural differences we've experienced moving to a new country, as well as some of the stereotypes that we faced. We think that this is a super important topic and just wanted to share our own stories. So we would absolutely love to hear your thoughts and own experiences. Just DM us at The Matcha Diaries on Instagram. And we hope you enjoy the episode. To this week's episode. Yes, please. <laughs> do you want to start off with your highs and lows? Yes, I can do. So, I'll start off with my high. I feel like I normally always do it the other way around, mm. but you know, well, I've got to get the high out of the way. Change it up. <laughs> yeah, keep you guys on your toes. You know, you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> the suspense is going. Um, okay, so I think I spoke about my work review that was coming up like a few weeks ago on the podcast. And I yesterday Mm -hmm. got the confirmation that it went really well, apparently. And I got just some really Mm -hmm. good news and, like, some really good feedback around it. And I feel like I'm still trying to, like, process that feedback. And I'm really struggling to, like, acknowledge that this is something that I can be proud of. And, you know, not (laughs) feel like, oh, my God, like, I don't deserve this. People are going to find out I'm a fraud. Um, yeah but yeah that was imposter syndrome thing yeah but yeah that was definitely the high (laughs) of my week and in general I feel like work's just been it's been stressful but it's been really really exciting like there's some exciting opportunities coming up and yeah it just feels special I like I'm really appreciating it because it's like the last half year of my grad scheme which is kind of mental Hmm. doesn't it make all the stressful nights worth it your work stresses just makes them yeah no that's Hmm. so true and this actually this leads me perfectly onto my low because (laughs) in general I do feel like I've had a really good week but I have had quite a bit of work stress and especially because I've just started a new team and there's just like lots going on and I just feel like at points I don't deal with work stress or it used to be uni stress in the best way possible I feel like I can easily react to a situation that I perceive as stressful with like too much emotion and then just drive myself in this like state of like panic. And then when I look back with a bit more distance, I can then look back and see like, okay, that was completely pointless. Like you didn't need to worry that much about this. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, I had a really good and like helpful conversation about this with a friend yesterday shout out to Alexa. Um, and <laughs> she told me that she lived by this phrase that she'd heard, um, which is stress is a choice. And I, I heard that and I was like, okay, that is so true. Because it's like that phrase of like, you can't control what happens to you, you can only control how you react. Yeah. And especially because all of the things that in my mind are like stresses or stressing me out all things that I've chosen to be in my life like me being stressed about work or me being stressed about even like sometimes like the podcast or me being stressed about 
like having a zoom call in the evening or something like that like that is stresses which I'm happy to have in my life if I Mm -hmm. take a step back and think about it because it means that either I've got like I have a great job I have like a podcast as a creative outlet I've got friends that I can chat to but then you know so I want to just make sure that I control my emotional responses to my perceived like stressful events and Mm -hmm. realize that okay I can take a step back and kind of react more calmly and mm-hmm. always be stressed. <laughs> I guess it's realizing that whatever you're stressed about, you are, even though it might feel like you're not in control, you are in control. And it's yeah. it's like you said, it's like you're choosing to have that in your life. Because, I mean, worst case scenario, you could back out mm. of whatever is stressing you out, but obviously you don't want to. So it's like putting stress into perspective where actually it's a good thing. It's because yeah. it shows that you care and you want to do good. It's interesting. Yeah, it's like showing that I've got things in my life that I that I care about and that are like worth stressing about almost. yeah like pushes you forward yeah I like that way of looking at it what about you my dear okay so my high of this week is such a weird high I like I don't know why it's a high but it is a high but <laughs> but I found I found this app called the like my heritage and you can put black and white photos like old photos of like my parents or like my grandparents and it brings them to life kind of by it like creates a color and it also animates them so it kind of like creates movement and so I put pictures of my grandparents that I've never met before. And it was just so weird, like, looking at a picture and it looks like it could have been taken today. And then just seeing movements, it just puts, I don't know, it just made me feel like they came back to life for a moment. And it was just something, it was really emotional. Like, I was showing my sister and then I showed my parents and stuff. And it was just a nice feeling. So that so I just ended up spending, like, a whole evening finding black and white photos in my family and, like, seeing what they would look like. It was just, it was a really nice nice thing to like share with my sister and share with my family so it was just a good evening to have and my low of this week is just that I have been lazy with my morning routines like I'm I'm (laughs) taking advantage of sleeping more than trying to wake up early and like do reading and journaling so I really need to get back into that I, I used to enjoy kind of like planning out my days but the fact that they're so similar is more demotivating than motivating because I'll just look at it and be like okay I'm doing the same thing every single day so I think that's been putting me off you know planning and all that stuff but I really need to get back into it so I'm gonna start waking up early that's a lie I'm telling myself but I'm gonna try (laughs) because in in the beginning of January I used to wake up at eight and read for an hour every morning and I really enjoyed it yeah so I just need to kind of force myself to get back into that um and start reading again because I've been been a bit lazy but yeah we can make this a challenge together because I've obviously, I, I remember I posted this on our Instagram as well, like my goals for March. Yeah. Or my goals for that week, I think I said. But it's kind of my goal for March to like fix my sleeping schedule and make it more consistent. And like I've been this week like consistently waking up in, in work days at like seven. Mm-hmm. And then now on weekends, I want to wake up between like eight and nine. Yeah. The latest. So. I mean, I saw something the other day where it's like, if you wake, if you choose to wake up an extra three hours, I mean, it's just common math, but if you choose to wake up three hours, you gain three hours. <laughs> you can gain years. You can gain. You can gain years of your life that you would have just spent sleeping. That is so true. Yeah, that's a good way so, of looking at it. It is good to wake up early. Yeah. At the same time, obviously, you know, you then have to also go to sleep early because we don't want to like be depriving our bodies of sleep. <laughs> yeah. That could be like quite toxic as well because I remember back when I was working, I'd always obviously have to wake up super early and I'd want to get certain things done before work, but then mm-hmm. I wouldn't go to sleep in time. So kind of like that toxic hustle culture of like 
do it all, you know, go to yeah. go to bars with friends until 2am, but then also wake <laughs> up before work to go to the gym at 5am. And it's like, well, that in total does not <laughs> equal That's to so like, bad. a healthy lifestyle. No, sleep is so important, actually. Yeah, exactly. putting off getting into the main body of this episode there's a reason for that (laughs) we were saying before we started recording that this is kind of the episode that we feel most nervous recording since the very first episode that we did on body image because yeah that one I don't know if we expressed it whilst we were recording but we felt really nervous for that one yeah because we were very just vulnerable and putting ourselves out there and I guess we're kind of doing that now with this episode so yeah and it's also something that we hadn't really talked to even our friends about, really. And I think this mm. is something similar where it's not really a common conversation that you have with your friends. And Yeah, like it's a learning curve even for us. Like I'm going to find out things about you and you're going to yeah. find out things about me. But I guess that's what this podcast is about as well, right? We're like learning together. <laughs> Do you want to start, Leah, though? Do you want to mention basically just like how you grew up and... What's, like, your background and your upbringing in terms of, like, culture and religion? Such a big question. (laughs) I know. It really is. And I feel like no matter how long we would would be talking about this, like, there still wouldn't be enough time to go into even just one of our family histories, probably, or one of our upbringings. But I'll try and keep it short. I've got a big problem with keeping it short, but I'll try. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... I was born in Germany and then I actually lived in the UK for a few years before fully moving back to Germany when I was five years Mm -hmm. old. So, and then I went to school in Germany until I was 17, at which point I did my lovely gap year and then went to uni in the UK. And I actually have a very weird blend of country origins in me. My father's Portuguese, which obviously makes me half Portuguese. And then my mother is three quarters German and one quarter British, which I guess, in summary, makes me half Portuguese, three eighths <laughs> German, and one eighth English. I love this. Which is why <laughs> when people ask me, like, where I'm from, because I get that question a lot, because especially in Germany, I definitely don't look like a classic German would yeah. look. Because um, I'm, I'm, for anybody who doesn't know what I look like, I'm quite petite. Uh, I've got kind of like a not a darker darker complexion but it's kind of like not not peachy white if that makes sense more like olive Mm. white um and I've also obviously got dark hair and so whenever anybody asks me I'm just like okay I'm half German half Portuguese because it's just it's just easier (laughs) but yeah the history on my mother's side actually does have a slightly complicated origin because my great-grandmother's family was Jewish at the time of the Second World War in Germany. And obviously everybody who's listening will know that this meant that they were persecuted. And my great-grandmother was luckier than other members um, of my family and was able to flee from Germany on the last ever kinder transport from Berlin to England. She then arrived in the Lake District. It's kind of sweet because we obviously went to Uni Lancaster, which is quite near the Lake District. Yeah. So Did you go? Yeah, because she she grew up in Windermere. So I remember visiting quite a few times and it's weird to think that that's kind of like a big part of like where my family grew up. That must have been so emotional to just, I don't know, picture it. Yeah. 
And when she was in England, she met my great granddad, who was obviously British. And it's funny because he wrote an autobiography and he describes her as a, the Austrian princess who nobody knew who she was when she first arrived Aww. in this like British small town. And obviously she had a very strong accent. She didn't know any English when she arrived. <laughs> very, very little. And I know that she obviously dealt with like a lot of struggles being... German in England post the war because obviously Germans were seen to be the enemy no matter if you if you were Jewish or not and as a consequence of that and obviously like what happened to her own family she understandably didn't have a very good relationship to Germany and all the German language or practicing the Jewish religion I know that Mm -hmm. she had to even sign a paper saying that she would not raise her children in a Jewish manner. Like, she had to sign that she would raise them Catholic. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mm. So, as a consequence, her daughter, so my grandmother, only found out at the age of, like, 16 through a coincidence because she was, like, German, learning German at school. And then her mother didn't want to talk about it with her. And then that's how she oh kind gosh. of found out um, about her family's history. And then since this time, I guess... I've not been raised super religious or I kind of was raised Catholic, I guess. (laughs) And now I'm only at this place now where I kind of want to actively like rediscover my like Jewish roots because in a way I almost feel like they've been stolen from me and I guess my brother, my mother, even, even my grandmother because they would still be alive and like practice today if it wasn't for the, for the second world war, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's definitely something that we talk about a lot in our family and it's something that, you know, we're very open about. But at the same time, it's also interesting how we are open about it, but it's also, you know, none of us have made that conscious effort to like bring certain traditions back or yeah. inform us in that way. So I'm hoping to be able to do that. But it's it is very like I guess a complicated area to navigate. I don't know. Now yeah. I was rambling on for a for a lot of time. No, but you really have to make that active uh, efforts to learn about it and then it's like where do you go to learn about it what resources yeah. can you trust and what can't you trust and it's just it's so sad to hear that she like it affected her relationship with it because of mm. the environment she was surrounded by to the point where she didn't even want to talk to her children about it like that makes me so emotional yeah it's just I mean I can imagine because obviously knowing that that country killed your family members and knowing that that country wanted to kill you and like every, I guess yeah. that will make you wanna almost denounce it or m- make you forget that that's where you're from. So I don't yeah. know. And I know that she never really talked about it. She's still alive, but wow. she doesn't, she's never really talked about it. Only like very, very briefly, she, she maybe sometimes mentions her brother who sadly didn't survive. And mm. I know that I think she had a lot of like survivor's guilt about that as well. But I wish I could talk to her about it. And it's obviously sad because when I'm gonna cry, but yeah, when when she dies, I feel like that's gonna be that. Yeah, part. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you're trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what about you? Okay, so for those who don't know, I'm kind of like Leo in the sense that I'm kind of from all over the place. So my <laughs> father is half Palestinian and a quarter Armenian and a quarter Egyptian. So he's from all over the place. <laughs> and then That's so cool. my mom is half English and half Jordanian. So I don't know, like, how do I take that and then say where I'm from? Because I feel like I just can't answer it in 
in one sentence. That is even more complex than mine. That is so many parts. Yeah. <laughs> this is why we need to do that DNA test. I know. If you guys want to see an episode, let us know, because we're willing to like invest to get these tests and find out <laughs> where we're from and connect with our roots. So... <laughs> Yes. But yeah, so growing up, I was kind of surrounded by like Jorda- Jordanian and Palestinian culture, as well as more open-minded English culture from my mom's side. So I would say that I have quite open-minded parents. And in that sense, I am quite lucky because I have noticed differences with things like my parents are comfortable in, in comparison to some of my like Arab friends' as parents. And then I was also brought up in Abu Dhabi, which is... <laughs> Abu Dhabi, which is just a whole other like <laughs> culture, cultural experience. And I've lived, I've lived more in Abu Dhabi than in Jordan, but I would never, like when people ask me where I'm from, I, I'd never crosses my mind to say Abu Dhabi. And I guess it's like, the question is when someone asks you, where are you from? Is it, is it where you've lived most of your life or where your parents are from? It's quite a tricky question That's so true. to answer. Yeah. It's like um, cultural identity. What what do you define it as? And in terms of like religion, there were so there there is Muslim religion in my family and Christian religion, and like that's kind that was kind of a source of conflict with like the two families coming together. So I think that's probably why my parents took that choice to say, you know, like they they taught me about God and they were like pray. So we used to like pray as a family at night, but it was never with a specific religion in mind. It was just you know there's someone out there that you can pray to and. It was it's just a very like simple way of thinking rather than a, following a religion. Um, and I'm quite happy with that because I think like I think religion is something that is good if you have the opportunity to discover by yourself rather than something you're born into. Because I think those like when you find out your relationship with religion, that's so much more pure than like only doing it because that's what your parents were doing. And that's what like that's just my personal opinion on it so I don't think religion was a big part of like my upbringing which is quite good I'd say I completely agree I also um this could be controversial but I do think that organized religion has brought a lot of pain into this life and Mm. I think that it often can cause like unnecessary conflict between people when really everybody is believing in the same values and the same things So, but that doesn't mean that I necessarily think religion is bad because I definitely think that, you know, whatever people can believe in that brings them hope, that makes them, you know, brings values into their life. I think that is a good thing. And, but I, I definitely think that nobody should be discriminated against or judged just because of something that they choose to believe in. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, I think it is beautiful. Like when you find that connection with religion, like I love that so much. So I guess Lee and I have both had this experience where we were brought up with a bunch of cultural backgrounds and then we had that experience yeah, of both. so many influences. Yeah, so many influences that we can't even, I feel like we can't even pinpoint like, oh, this is from this and this is from this. Um, and then we've had to both kind of move to the UK and have to like experience this whole new culture. Um, so I'm curious for you, Leo, like what are some challenges that kind of came with you just moving to a completely new culture and... Like, did you have to adapt or what was that like? I didn't think that there was going to be much friction because honestly, I'd, I'd grown up kind of bilingual because my dad isn't, yeah. like his German isn't the most fluid. His English and Portuguese are definitely way better. So we always kind of grew up like speaking English in the house anyways. But it was a bigger sort of adaptation process than I thought it would be. But 
I do think I was quite like my my transition was probably smoother mm-hmm. than most, just because the German and the UK culture are definitely more similar than others. And I'd also like traveled to the UK quite a few times, obviously because of like my British mm-hmm. family ties still. And I'd always grown up sort of reading Enid Blyton and Harry Potter. So I definitely, I just had this like picture of England in my head as like imagining this like <laughs> classic boarding school life. I don't know if you <laughs> had the same thing. Um, and I just, yeah, I did yeah. feel really lucky to even just be able <laughs> to move to a new country and to get out of kind of that bubble. I feel like probably no matter mm. what town or no matter what city you grew up in, I think I was fortunate enough to grow up in quite a big city with like, that is very diverse and very you know, lots of experiences and lots of influences even in the city alone. But even here I felt, so I grew up in Hamburg, but even here I did feel like it was still such a Mm -hmm. microcosmos and such a bubble and you're kind of just protected from like everything that's going on in the outside. And so it felt good to be able to experience a, a different culture. And I think at uni, just like so many different people with so many different origins come together, which is so special. But yeah, other than sort of, the language thing I definitely think that probably you and many other people had like a lot more intense sort of transitioning period than than I did yeah well see for me I think like the main challenge was kind of trying to navigate like the different norms in each culture and then figuring out by myself like what I agree with and what I personally align with Mm -hmm. because obviously I'm, I'm brought up with all these cultural like values and actions and practices right and then you're you're taken to this whole new place and you just see how other people think and you see how you know something that in your family and in your culture is frowned upon you go into this new culture and it's actually completely normal and you're like oh shit see I've been told my whole life that this is bad but actually it's not the worst thing in the world is it so I mean I'm trying to be vague and (laughs) not say a specific example but there's a lot of thoughts and ideas in Arab culture that I've I feel like coming to uni and stuff it's given me the chance to break away from And that's honestly just through like exposure to different cultures. And in a sense, I was lucky enough because in Abu Dhabi, I went to an international school. So already at a young age, I was exposed to a bunch of different cultures. And I think that's helped me be just more open minded to different upbringings and different cultural values. And I remember in in the lunch breaks and stuff, I'd just be sitting with my friends and we'd pick up the most controversial topics. We'll be like, okay, what do you think about abortion? right and then we'd all sit there like from people from all over the world and it's interesting to see like what factors impact your opinions yeah because I remember we were having that conversation we had the conversation of you know are you gonna wait till marriage and you just see Mm -hmm. like how people's upbringings affect that answer and decision yeah Um, makes you question what even is your own opinion and how much of it is just society and culture influencing you yeah and I have had like coming to uni and then all my friends from Abu Dhabi going to uni we've gone back and had the same conversations and seen how things have changed because I think we've given the chance to think things for ourselves rather than just what we know, which is why I think it is like so important to step out of, I mean, like you said, a comfort bubble and just like put yourself in these different conversations with different cultures and just see, because then you're, you're forced to think, okay, do I agree with this or do I not agree with this? So even though it was a challenge, it was in some way good, like it was a challenge because it forced me to think back of like myself and my opinions and my values and stuff. But like I've enjoyed, I think, coming to the UK and having that that freedom, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Would you feel comfortable sharing like some of the values of your home culture, which maybe you didn't agree with, but then also maybe some values of like the English culture that maybe you didn't agree with or vice versa? Yeah, no. OK, so 
So I guess these are this goes into like what are the biggest like differences from my culture and like the U mm. culture UK culture. And I think like the main thing is Jordanian women are seen to have a very maternal role and it's sort of expected for us to stop working when we have kids and take over the role of being a housewife. And men that's are just so interesting. Yeah, and men are instantly assumed to be the providers. And that's like that's very much the role that I witnessed in my own home. Like my mom would cook and clean and take care of us and she had that very maternal role and my dad would work. And th- that's just like the rules that were there, like it was never spoken of. So my dad was never expected to help clean or help cook and my mother was never expected to financially support us. But then mm. but then coming to the UK it's made me re- I've had kind of like a, an awakening of these rules and I just know now that they're so limiting. Like so the fact that it's just a standard the women stay home and the men go to work. I just think it's I don't like how that's the given and like the societal expectations. So like by all means if you want to be a stay-at-home mom or stay at home dad and a care that's amazing but I think it should be a choice yeah because it is what personally fulfills you and it's not like I don't like how it's a societal expectation you know yeah so I think there is definitely inequality between men and women in Jordan I had experience with paperwork where I had to fill out something and for it to be valid I had to have a male witness sign it and he could be a stranger like it didn't have to be anyone no I knew it just had to be a male because that makes it official and what I what I did apparently wasn't good enough. I needed a male to come and witness it. So <laughs> you should see Leo's face right now. <laughs> I'm shocked. I didn't know. Yeah. In terms of relationships, there is this expectation to get married at a young age and like find someone and settle down. And if you're not, your image is kind of tainted. So you're kind of seen as undesirable. And I know a lot of Asian cultures have this idea that, you know, if you're over 25 and not married, no one wants you. Like you need to be married by 25. And divorce is very frowned upon. So I came to the UK realizing that all of, like, all of my friends at uni, their parents are either, like, separated or their parents never got married or, you know, their parents got divorced. Whereas in Jordan, it you're more likely to find a woman or a man stay in an unhappy relationship just to avoid being, like, or having the title of being a divorcee, which I, f- I, found, I find mm-hmm. insane. And then, well, I feel like I'm going on a rant by all of this. <laughs> That's um, so interesting. Yeah, and then in terms of like, in terms of clothing, I loved coming to the UK and just seeing how everyone could wear whatever the fuck they wanted to wear. Whereas <laughs> in Jordan, like wearing shorts out in public is a big thing, and it's but it's more like I never felt safe walking around in shorts. And like I remember sitting in my like whenever we'd go to the f- we have a farmhouse in Jordan, and whenever we'd go in the car, we'd all sit with pillows, like you know, because you you want to wear your like swimsuit to go swimming Mm. right so we'd all just sit there with pillows like covering our legs so that we wouldn't get stared at in our car because it was such an not odd but like they really sexualize girls so it's not something you feel comfortable with like you get barked at and stuff so it's just not nice whereas in the UK I love seeing that freedom of you wear whatever you want and like I never got catcalled here which I know I know people do but it's just a lot less than a different um, level yeah and I would like to say that I think like all these negative things are more my parents' generation rather than my generation because all of my friends I think they're more open-minded like we want to raise Mm -hmm. our kids differently than what like what our parents' generation have gone through but yeah and in all I think I was blessed to have more open-minded parents like they let me come to the UK in the first place which is amazing like a lot of my friends were never given that choice they were told to stay 
you know, go to a university in Jordan and just stay there because that's just what was expected of them. So, yeah. So those are like the main main things. I can't flaw anything in the UK, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that is so interesting, though. Yeah. Regarding that marriage and obviously the feeling like, OK, if you're above 25, the age and not married and also the opinion of divorce and everything. I, I know that obviously now you can rationally look at it and see it in a different way, but do you feel like it's still impacted like your attitude to, to marriage and how maybe do you think you'd want to get married sooner than maybe other people that grew up in the UK? Interesting. Um, I think I'm lucky enough to have in my immediate family that support where it isn't the most important thing in the world. And it, I mean, like, I know my dad makes comments always like, when are, like to my sister my twin sister he's like when are you gonna find a nice man and like settle down but he doesn't mean it in a in a come on you need to settle down or else no one's gonna want you so yeah. it hasn't really affected me personally I don't think but maybe ingrained like I think I say that now comfortably be comfortably because I'm in a relationship that I see going somewhere but maybe if I was single at the age of 23 or 24 I might I can feel it being something where I'm like shit you know like I need to start finding someone to to live my life with it's just annoying because we hear comments like from family members commenting about other you know oh this she's 26 and she's not married yet and it's just like who gives a shit if she's happy and living her life or if he's happy and he's living his life why does it matter i think it's it's like the simple like monogamy like you need to find someone and settle down and live your life with and that's i guess that's something i don't know if that's cultural or societal but the idea that you don't need to be with someone and you can happily be alone is kind of not Mm. there yet. I think it's interesting because obviously I can imagine that from what you've said as well, it's definitely more extreme and maybe more prevalent on the surface in Jordanian culture. Yeah. But I definitely feel like it's still prevalent in English or German cultures as well. It's that expectation that I think especially for women, if you're above a certain age, your life is complete or fulfilled when you do have that long-term partner or... yeah if you have kids or something like that because I feel like a 40 year old male bachelor is looked at in a very like even the term bachelor you know that isn't a bad thing whereas no then somebody who is like a 40 year old single woman I don't think she would be looked at in the same way she would be questioned for her decision she's like don't you feel like you know you missed your chance like don't you feel like your biological clock is ticking yeah your role what you're put on this earth to do your biological role it's like oh stop it <laughs> exactly so I feel like even though UK and I don't know a lot of western countries I think they're making progress in this I think it's still so ingrained like society's yeah. expectations of what you're supposed to do to have a successful and happy life and I think it's so interesting because just because you get married at a certain age or have kids at a certain age it doesn't guarantee happiness at all yeah exactly and and that's what's heartbreaking is the fact that people would rather be in an unhappy relationship than have the status of being single. Yeah. Like, that's so horrible to think about. That's so true. I think it's interesting because I've been very lucky to have had, I think, really, really good role models in my own family where my dad and my mom both work. And it's definitely, like, not the traditional yeah. sort of... It's definitely more like of a role reversal, I would say. And both are super, super liberal. And I'm very lucky that I can talk to yeah. my parents about literally any subject and I feel very lucky that I can do that do you remember me having conversations with you when when you first told me your mom was working I don't know if you remember but I remember being like oh my god your mom like she didn't stay at home and take care of you when you were (laughs) were born I was like what did you do but that that's obviously me like not being exposed 
to a, a like a mother figure that works full time, you know, yeah. which is insane. Because I rem- I remember being so shocked. I was like, what? That's insane. How how? Where did you go after school? <laughs> Who drove you home? I don't That's know. So interesting. <laughs> So have you noticed any differences like with your culture and then like your culture growing up and then coming to the UK? Do you remember like specific examples that you can think of? I feel like there's just lots of more minor differences like when it comes to like traditional food or our attitudes to even dating or drinking, like going out. I think a lot of the values are quite similar. I think that's what makes the cultural shock maybe bigger in some instances. But (laughs) I remember this, for anybody who knows English food, this is probably going to be quite funny, but I remember seeing Weetabix for the first time in like an English supermarket. And I thought, and obviously they kind (laughs) of look like biscuits from the outside. So I remember like trying to eat them just like without (laughs) any milk or any liquid. And I was just like, that's (laughs) disgusting. I remember just being like, this is the grossest thing ever. Like, why are English people so obsessed with this weird food? And then I told told somebody, like one of my British uni friends, and they were like, Leo, what the hell did you do? Like, that is not the way you're supposed to eat it. For anybody who's listening, I don't know what Weetabix is. They're basically like cereal in biscuit form. So you can It's like oats. Yeah. So you have to eat drink them with or eat them with milk. Yeah, you put it in milk and then it gets soggy and then you can't Ugh, yeah. I just hate these <laughs> in general. <laughs> well, I'm so sorry you had to go through that and try it <laughs> without milk. Ugh. <laughs> Another thing which we wanted to touch on was like stereotypes. Yeah. And I'm very interested to hear this from you. Like, what are some stereotypes that maybe you have have faced? I knew my experiences, but I wanted to see what other Arabs were experiencing in terms of, like, stereotypes and stuff. And so I was Googling, I was like, you know, microaggressions that Arabs experience, right? And then all of the Google page was about Islamophobia. And I'm like, this is the first stereotype, right? Not all Arabs are Muslim. There needs to stop being that assumption that all Arabs are Muslims. And, And not all Muslims are Arab either, like there's muslims all around the world and there's like a lot of christians there's a lot of buddhists and stuff in jordan like you can't i think that annoys me like there's always that assumption as soon as people meet me they're like oh you're muslim right and i'm like no i'm not why are you assuming that i'm muslim so that's like the first stereotype that i've personally experienced and the second stereotype is like that i'm like because i'm arab i'm wealthy and i and i feel like i've experienced this a lot living in abu dhabi as well because everyone assumes that I'm like I come from a billionaire family and like I my toilets are made out of gold and I have <laughs> drivers and surprise <laughs> no I'm sorry to disappoint guys but I have a really tiny toilet like it's not, it's not made out of gold I don't know but it's like this idea that you know it's very heavy and materialistic mm-hmm. um like a materialistic lifestyle around gold and bling and all that stuff which is not true like you can't just generalize all arabs and put them into this box where we're all you know which is kind of annoying because i've had people come up to me and they're like oh you go to uni now oh you must be baller baller and it's like stop it Mm. (laughs) stop making these generalizations because it's just annoying and another main stereotype i've experienced is the whole terrorism stereotype that all arabs are terrorists um and so personally no one's ever called me a terrorist thankfully but I have noticed that if I'm passionate about something or kind of 
if I speak loud about something, I'm given connotations with aggressiveness and violence. And that's just because I'm passionate about something. Mm -hmm. But because I'm Arab, I think people think that or they associate it with these like very aggressive, I don't know, characteristics and acts. And I think that might come across as well because our language, I guess it's like German, like we have very um, strong and would you say aggressive? I don't know. I'd say yeah, harsh sounding languages. So you just assume like I could be saying I love you really passionately and people will just assume that I'm being aggressive. Yeah. Um, and then another stereotype which really annoys me is like when people say, oh, what wife number will you be? And it's like there's assumption that all men have four wives, which was a part of, first of all, that's it's, an, it's a religious thing. It's not an Arab thing. And it's something that used to be in religion a long time ago and it's not something that everyone does. So it's just like... It's just annoying comments like that, you know, that people yeah. say. But those are, see, I think I've been quite lucky that I haven't faced, you know, as like as deep and harmful stereotypes. But it's just, these are just my experiences. So I'm sure there's people out there that have gone through a lot worse. Um, or like people have kind of stereotyped them in, in that certain way. So, but yeah, those are just the main ones I could think of at the moment. You saying that obviously that people have had it worse. And I know that we we both have, <laughs> have that like instinct to want to preface that we yeah. know that, you know, we're not saying that, you know, poor us or whatever it is. But I think those are like such serious stereotypes. You know, that isn't something to be taken lightly. And I know that it's something that is like still so prevalent. It's something that like everybody should know better about. But then there's just there's still these like like under the surface level biases and automatic assumption that we have about certain cultures yeah so bad yeah I mean obviously mine I don't think are anywhere near that level the only thing that I guess I've experienced like coming to the UK especially not being in Germany is people automatically assuming that I'm like I come from like a, a Nazi background I guess just because I'm German yeah and you know even and then you know they make Nazi jokes like I've experienced that so many times especially at the beginning of uni and even if I wasn't from Jewish origin like these jokes or assumptions like they still wouldn't be okay yeah and I never knew how to react to these quote-unquote jokes because I remember like not wanting to drag the mood down or you know I didn't know any of these people so I didn't want to be like perceived as like too sensitive or you know yeah not in on the joke and but like these jokes like they do really hurt as one can tell from like the beginning of me obviously almost tearing up like my family history is like something that I don't know why like I'm just very emotional about and I remember one specific time where it was one of the very first times I was meeting my now ex's friends. So obviously, like, you want to impress, you know, the guy that you're seeing, like, their yeah. friends. And and it was also just still so new even between us. And they made one of those jokes. And I literally, like, I had to... And also, I was a bit drunk. So I just had to, like, run out of the room so that they didn't see me cry. <gasps> because obviously, like, alcohol then, like, made me more emotional as well. And... I remember my ex came running after me and just was so confused why I was reacting that way. And I remember like trying to explain it and he just like, he couldn't understand it either. He was just like, oh, it's just a joke. And I, it's like, okay, yes, I know that it's just a joke. I know that they're not malintentioned. I know that people know that I am not a Nazi, blah, 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 blah. But it's just like, okay, but like comments like that or anything, like I'm sure a lot of people will have that with like different sort of jokes. Mm -hmm. Like they still and you still don't know how to react and it's like a tricky thing to to navigate I guess 
I think what's tough as well is that they're joking about a situation that has caused the death of so many people. Mm. Like, it's easy to make jokes, right? And and just kind of like, and I know it's a passing comment, right? And they didn't mean it. I'm sure they didn't mean it in a way. Yeah. But even if they don't mean it, it's still a joke that comes out of something that's so dark and so morbid. Have you seen the, ro- uh, what's it called? Jojo Rabbit, I think. No. It's this new movie. Not that new. But they kind of make uh, the whole, like, Nazi thing. They make it, like, a satirical kind of comedy movie. Mm. And it's it's really brilliant in the sense that it's really dark humor to the point where you leave it feeling quite... You feel shit. Like, you yeah. leave it being like, shit, so many people have gone through this. But you... But there are, like, little moments where they laugh. And I just think there's a way... There's a way to express, like, wh- what has happened... But people just love making jokes and it's like, it's easy to just get lost in the moment and think it's something you can just joke about when you, when you weren't there and you weren't experiencing and you don't know how much like pain comes from that joke. And that's something we need to be more aware of. Like, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, right? Because I've, I'm sure I've said things in the past that, yeah, me too. Um, yeah. little did I know. And I, well, and this goes into cancel culture, right? Because we can't just assume that people are perfect, right? We're going to say things that are wrong based on not knowing the truth behind it. And I think as long as you know that you're in the wrong and like accept that and then make that effort to learn, I'm going on a rant now. I think it's so interesting because there's obviously like a lot of people that say like, oh, you know, you can you can joke about anything and that people should be too sensitive and it's kind of ruining like the comedy sphere and all of that because people, you know, yeah, cancel culture and everything like that. And I think it's just like a tricky line because I do think that tastefully I think a lot of people also use humor to to process a difficult situation and 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 process their own pain and their own trauma but it's I think it you do have to be careful with like who makes those jokes right I think people in positions of power people who haven't faced oppression I know I just think it's a very tricky topic I think you shouldn't necessarily joke about something which you haven't felt the repercussions of and also even just in a social setting I don't think you should you shouldn't automatically assume that you know somebody's history before making especially like I guess a historical joke or a cultural joke Mm -hmm. um like the one with like the the multiple wives thing right that's I'm sure like in their head like something funny um and something that isn't meant to be taken seriously and it's not meant to offend but then you know, it is it is offensive when you see it as something that also I think with microaggressions, not that I've experienced them, but I can imagine that what's so hurtful about them is just that they keep piling on and on. You know, it's not just like one comment, it's it's just so many after yeah. another and they just build up to a point where even maybe then like a small thing can just trigger an emotional response because yeah. they are seen from like a you know that they're coming from a stereotype or, you know, a a place of unintentional discrimination. So it is really tricky. Mm-hmm. So you would say you haven't experienced microaggressions? I don't think because I looked up the definition of microaggressions. <laughs> so the definition I found online was a statement, action or incident regarded as an instance of indirect, subtle or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group such as a racial racial or ethnic minority. And I don't think I'm a member of a marginalized group, apart from maybe like my Jewish culture. But then again, that's also tricky because I was obviously raised Catholic. So it's not like I was brought up in the Jewish faith and I maybe had to face 
stereotypes or discrimination yeah. in that way that maybe I was practicing like the Jewish religion really openly and maybe then I would have faced different sort of discrimination so I don't feel like I can personally speak on that yeah no that's really interesting do you want to know some of the microaggressions that I've experienced yes please I struggled thinking of these it was quite interesting doing because obviously we and I have planned some questions before and I just sat there and I was like okay what what have people said in the past that have made me feel quite crap but I didn't really acknowledge and it was it was interesting so I I could think of five things that people have said to me that I I would label as microaggressions but obviously I might it might not be and I just might take it as a microaggression but the first thing I've experienced is people saying oh you speak really good English for an Arab they just assumed that I wouldn't know how to speak English like, oh, your English is so good. Wow. And it's like, yeah, well, little do you know, we take English in school and we learn about it. So <laughs> and I grew up with an English mom and English was a language we spoke at home. But it was it's just that like assumption that I wouldn't know how to speak English. And it's something I've had to recently learn and stuff. So another thing I've experienced is people saying, oh, did you ride camels to school? And did you live in a tent? Which I think is a microaggression. And then... I've noticed people being very uncomfortable with me speaking Arabic. So obviously I would never... Okay, so I think it is rude if you're in a group and you're with like six people, right? And four of you know how to speak. Let's say four of us know how to speak Arabic and three don't. I think it is rude if you start speaking Arabic and you're including only those four people and excluding those Mm -hmm. other three people. But I'm talking more about a situation if I'm like on the phone with my sister. And it's just much easier for me to express myself in Arabic sometimes. So I do that, and then I hear yeah. people in the background go like, who jubbly jubble jubble jubble, like trying to mimic me and like make fun of my Arabic, which I know is a joke, but again, jokes can hurt, and like I shouldn't feel uncomfortable speaking my own language, right? It's not, it's not quite funny. Yeah. And then, so this is something I've experienced as well, where I was on this on a train a year ago, <laughs> and um, I was looking at this old couple, and I was like, oh my god, they're so cute, they're so old. And then I had this, like, fear that sometimes stranger, strangers can think something negative of me because I am Arab. So I, so I, was telling this, I was telling a group of people this story where I was like, you know, I look at old couples and I'm like, oh, they're so cute. But they could be thinking, you know, like, what is this girl doing in our country? You know, like, the instant instinct of, like, go back to where you belong type situations, right? Yeah. And I was telling them this. I was like, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And someone said, oh, don't worry, though. You don't look Arab so it's fine and I took so much offense to that because I am Arab I am proud to be Arab and I think I do look Arab like I have very strong Arab features um and I never want to feel like it's a relief that I don't look like my people you know I just think Mm -hmm. it's something bad yeah and then a little other comment someone said once was you're like as a joke they're like you're showing too much ankle which is really insensitive because there's that's the reality of what a lot of women face in Arab uh, countries where they make made they're made to feel you know bad for showing skin and I just think it's not funny so yeah those are the main ones I could think of on the spot or like when I was reflecting on this I I think it's interesting that somebody meant it as a compliment that you didn't yeah Arab you know it's just it's showing their implicit bias I guess that what Arab people I I don't even know what they're what they're insinuating you know but it's obviously insinuating that that would be something bad and yeah. you know, don't worry so it's the way they said like don't worry that's the yeah. part where it's like what should I worry like <laughs> I don't know it's just a bit weird 
but yeah it, I mean those are like the most of the that I've experienced so I think yeah in some sense I am lucky like I'm so glad I haven't had to experience any violence and like actual physical uh, hatred towards me which a lot of people do experience which is quite sad so, so should we say ways we think we can like combat these stereotypes and microaggressions yeah I just wanted to, I wanted to share one story which the the thing of like come go back from where you came from I mean you're more British than I am you've literally got a British passport I obviously don't and mm. I, I think I told you this right I had this instance where this was the only time that anything like this happened because most of the time when I talk to people in England they are very like European friendly I guess but I remember being yeah in this pub and ordering a drink so obviously I needed to show my ID and my ID is clearly German so sometimes it does take people a while to figure out okay what where is like your day of birth you know where does it say but it's the only numbers you know on the on the card so it's not too tricky to figure out but I remember yeah. he was the bartender was struggling and then he was like oh well I'm glad in a few months you know like you'll have to go back to your own country and I won't have to deal with this anymore and I remember like oh my gosh yeah I didn't even know what to say I was I would like kind of nervously laughed it off and I was just like just tried to get away from that situation and I'd never experienced anything like that before which I guess is again like so bad like that's like a place of privilege right that I'd never had to experience people you know visibly sort of rejecting me or telling me that you know I don't belong in this country where which I've kind of made my home now you know so it's kind of and Brexit is kind of like a new whole situation yeah. and I obviously know that clearly a lot of people voted for it um and that's also such a sensitive topic yeah. I feel like to talk about in in England Brexit the whole thing because you mm. never know what somebody's gonna yeah what somebody's opinions are before you enter a conversation true but that was like the one situation where I was very actively made aware of the fact that i some people clearly don't think I belong in this country and I shouldn't be there. Yeah, that's so horrible. I mean, you saying that made me think of... uh, I've been rejected from a grocery shop because of my ID. They assumed because it wasn't like... Because I I have like a provisional driver's license in the UK, so I I could use that as my ID, but I just... I think I was like, I wanted to quickly get one out of my wallet, so I just quickly got out my Jordanian ID. And they just were like, yeah, uh, this could be fake. So they were more likely to assume that it was a fake ID than to respect that I come from a different place. And like, that could be my only source of identification, you know? Uh, That's really interesting. Yeah, I guess it's again that like egocentristic view of people who come to our country have to adapt or face the consequences. But yeah, I guess, okay, so some of the things that I feel like we can do to combat stereotypes and microaggressions, and this is like speaking of like, okay, this is something that I Mm want to do, is I feel like there needs to be like an active education and also like willingness to relearn and unlearn certain things that we've grown up with. And I think that it's important to be self-critical and face up to the ways that, you know, we might be actually complicit in certain like tropes and stereotyping or racial discrimination, even if that may be hard to admit to, because obviously nobody wants to think of themselves as like the bad guy. Like you want to be the good guy in your Mm -hmm. head and nobody wants to admit that they maybe have their own biases in their own heads. But I think the point where our world is, I think 2020 just highlighted that even more. But, you know, things have been deeply wrong for so many years. I think it's just time to stop, like, sugarcoating things and being, like, honest with ourselves in this regard. And also, like, time to have uncomfortable conversations, whether that is, like, with yourself, with 
family members, with friends, and to wake up to like the privilege that we have and how we can use it in a way that's productive. And again, like I'm not saying that I've got this figured out and I'm perfect at this because it's almost the opposite. Like I feel like I've got so much to learn and so much to unlearn and, and work on. And again, you know, if, if, anybody listening feels like we've misstepped in this episode or like was insensitive in any way then please let us know because we want to be able to learn and grow yeah. and avoid these mistakes in the future like we we don't want to be I, I'm definitely not a proponent of cancel culture I, I'm a proponent of people being held accountable for for things that they've done wrong or things where they've misspoken and hurt people and if we ever contribute to that then we want to be made aware of this and I guess this is us just trying to open up these like harder conversations to have and speak from our own subjective point of view. And we'd also love to hear your experiences and your thoughts on this because yeah. I'm sure like we've got a very diverse audience and that I think everybody just has it, their own unique point of view on this topic, which I think is so interesting. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I feel like... Um... I kind of had the same things in mind. Like the the most important thing is education. So educate yourself and try be more aware of what you're saying. And I, well, I think for me, like, I think I made it pretty clear in this conversation as well that having international friends and, and being in a situation where I had different cultures around me has really helped me. So try be more open to meeting people from all over the world because you get to know their experiences firsthand and it can be... Um, easier for you then to have these conversations with them ask them questions like don't be afraid to ask questions because you'll never know the reality of a situation unless you ask questions and then like you said um, thinking before you speak right so noticing when you're thinking certain thoughts that might be biased and might be wrong and then challenge yourself so be like why am I thinking this Mm -hmm. is this from you know, ideas that I've been brought up with or is this something I've just heard people saying so now I've had this like subconscious association with whatever I'm saying. And yeah, the same thing, like nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect for sure. I know that my views are really affected by my upbringing. And especially being Arab, I feel like there's, there is a big divide, right? And we're, we're told to kind of protect ourselves from other cultures. And so I never want to be that person that is close-minded and I know I can be sometimes and I'm really trying to learn and expose and yeah, so expose myself to it. So it's all about just learning and growing and not living by the cancel culture for sure. I think it's interesting that you say that because I'm sure that you do have those like internal biases that I guess you have to fight against because of your cultural upbringing but I feel like you're one of the least judgmental people that I've ever met. I think you're very open-minded. Thank you. That's the nicest thing anyone can say. I think that there's more hate in the world for people in a world where people I mean I'm trying to be all motivational now but I mean, judgments and bias and stuff, it all it creates is a world of, like, divide, you know, and that's not something we need at the moment, so. That's so true. Well, I'm glad this is over, actually, because this conversation has stressed me out so much. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we'll be back with a land and light and fun topic. We'll talk about love or our favorite TV shows or something, something <laughs> like but yeah I'm glad we've had this conversation at the point where we're recording this we're still not quite sure if we're gonna release this but well I had I even had like I enjoyed having this conversation because I feel like I knew or I know now more of like how much your is it heritage could you say heritage like Mm -hmm. how much that means to you and I'm excited that you want to know more I can playing with a measuring stick sorry um I'm excited how you want to know more and you're gonna 
at least from what I've like heard from you, you want to take those active steps to learn more, which I think is really good. And I, I think equally for me, like I don't really know a lot about Arab culture. Again, that's one of those things which I was never confronted with when I was growing up. I never had any friends that were Arab. So, you know, I'm sure that I've had my own biases. So it's just, I think for me, it's also really interesting. We hope you all enjoyed this episode and definitely let us know your thoughts after listening. We'd be so very interested to hear. And if you don't follow us yet, you should go follow us on at the Matcha Diaries on Instagram. We post like every day and Mm -hmm. it's kind of fun. It's like mini journal entries every day is what I feel like. Yeah. It's a mood board, basically. (laughs) I like that expression of it. Bye. Bye.